We're continuing in our series in Luke's Gospel, and uh, we're chapter 12, and beginning at verse 13 through to verse 34. And I think you will hear some echoes this morning of the points that Bob made uh, last week. There are two sections here, verses 13 to 21, where Jesus is addressing the crowd, and 22 to 34, where he is addressing his disciples. And it is important to note the difference because what God requires of the world is different from what he requires of those who are his. Those who by grace have become his children, those who've been delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. And uh, if that's us, then God will expect more from us than from the world. But more than that, uh, the good news is that he is ready to help us by his grace and by the Holy Spirit to live as children of light in a dark world. The challenge for us is, who live in a highly material-soaked, consumer-driven world, is not to let the world woo us and deceive us into adopting its values. That's why there are so many warnings from Jesus and the apostles But these commands and prohibitions all stem from the Ten Commandments uh, in the Old Testament, and specifically number 10, the last one, you shall not covet, which is to greatly desire something that belongs to someone else. Closely associated is that of greed, although we probably think about greed in terms of food. Um, You've had two cakes already. If you have another one, that's being greedy. Okay. But in the New Testament, um, it's mainly used for an over-desire of financial gain. So we'll read the passage in two sections. We'll, we'll look at the first section first, then later we'll look at the second one. So we'll start with uh, verses 13 to 21. It should come up on the screen. Okay. Here we go. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So we're going to look at the verses 13 to 15, first of all, and they'll come up on the screen again. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, 
Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Now, we don't know if this man's brother was the older of the two, who may have, according to Jewish custom, inherited a double portion from the father. But whatever the case, this man felt that an injustice had been done. He may have come to Jesus because um, rabbis customarily gave decisions on disputed matters. But he's not even asking Jesus to decide on the merits of the individual claims of the two brothers, but to rule in his favour. But Jesus has nothing to do with it. He had come to bring people to God, not money and possessions to people. He was concerned about people's attitudes, not who got what. He clearly thought the man was being covetous, and he warned against it in verse 15. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Then Jesus tells the parable uh, to illustrate the point. A rich farmer has a bumper crop and his first instinct is to tear down his barns and build larger ones to contain his grain and other goods. And he says to himself in verse 19, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. For God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And these things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now I've said that covetousness is um, deeply desiring something that belongs to someone else. So how is the farmer covetous? Even as today, farmers produce their crops as their livelihood. But very importantly, um, for the benefit of others. This farmer is not concerned to use his wealth wisely. He's not trying to serve God and help other people. And we see he uses the word I so many times in this section. He is thoroughly self-indulgent. He is not even concerned to have a richer um, and fuller life for himself, but just to build up his reserves. It is God who has provided him with a bumper harvest, and by deliberately holding on to that which God has provided for others, as well as himself, in a sense, he is being covetous. He is covetous towards the things that should have gone to other people. In addition to um, Jesus' warning here about covetousness, we need to understand the seriousness of it. In Mark 7, 21, Jesus said, Covetousness defiles us. It makes us dirty. It makes us unclean. And he says this, For within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. This is echoed by Paul in Ephesians 5.3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And Paul goes on to say that covetousness is a form of idolatry. 
and that the idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Now, there is a song of yesteryear, Money is the Root of All Evil. Who knows that song? All right. There are other words that say, I will not contaminate myself with it. Take it away, take it away, take it away. Yeah, Gene knows those words. I saw that. Yeah. All right, but you're probably aware this is a missed quote. It's a misquote from 1, uh, from 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, money, possessions, riches, treasures are all morally neutral. And God has even permitted some of his servants, such as Solomon, to have an abundance of them. But it is the place they hold in our lives, and most importantly, in our hearts, um, that is the issue. That is why the love of money is idolatry. Devotion that should have been given to God is focused on material gain. I think it's fair to say that a great deal of crime we see today is motivated by the desire for more money or possessions, from petty theft right through to corporate fraud. You remember I said three weeks ago when we were looking at um, the dangers, particularly to, for children, of the access to the internet, that pornography, the pornography trade, is motivated by money. Also, I'm staggered that there are those who are prepared to work their way into people's homes, offering bogus services to often unsuspecting vulnerable folk um, to get them to part with their money, sometimes their life savings. How they live with their consciences, I really don't know. But it illustrates the power of covetousness. People are prepared to put aside all sensibility and values just in order for financial gain. Um, perhaps the most devastating effect of one man's covetousness is what is happening to Ukraine right now. I don't think it gets much bigger than that. Now, covetousness can be a sin of the poor as well as the rich and powerful because it is a disease of the heart. However, I'm sure we all have the greatest sympathy for those um, increasing number of individuals and families that are struggling to make ends meet and even provide the basics, who may be envious of their neighbours' plenty. I understand that. The danger is when envy becomes covetousness. And as we've seen in Ukraine, covetousness leads to the disregard of the needs and feelings of others and will use all means, and in this case, even war crimes, to seize what belongs to others. We will, I'm sure, disassociate ourselves from such ex extreme examples. However, the apostles had to warn the early church about covetousness. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your, love, life, sorry, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Then in Romans 13, uh, 9 to 10. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in the word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to his neighbor. Therefore, 
Love is the fulfilling of the law. Of course, we know that um, to love one's neighbor is the second uh, commandment. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, as Jesus said, and to, secondly, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So love for our neighbor is one antidote uh, to coveting and should be our passion because it, is, it does come second to loving God. Even if we are not actually coveting what others possess, we can be motivated by the love of riches. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said that riches are deceitful and will choke the word and make it unfruitful in our lives. We will be unproductive Christians and not fulfill all that God has for us if we are consumed with riches. Particularly through television and the internet, we are bombarded with images of things that are said will make our lives more fulfilled and happier. And some of them carry the label, must have. Seen that? Must have. Maybe we are mature enough not to be won over by these appeals, but whether we like it or not, we are influenced by the standards of the prevailing culture. I can think of four things that I said we did not need and would not have. This is over the period we lived where we are at the moment. The, um, um, yeah, the first was a motor mower. We had a, a push mower and that was quite adequate. Um, the second was television, uh, which we saw as an intrusion into family life. The third was a mobile phone. I didn't want the inconvenience of people being able to contact me any time of the day. Uh, and um, the third, oh sorry, the fourth, was a dishwasher. My wife had a human one, so there was no need. <laughs> However, mainly because these things have become the norm rather than the exception, we have them all. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with owning any of these things, but it's just an illustration that we can be subtly influenced by what we would call the world. Therefore, we must be on our guard that our hearts are not led astray and we start agreeing with the world on what we must have. We need to accept that all that we have comes from God and we are stewards and that we must spend our money wisely, not just for our benefit, but also for the benefit of others. Which leads on to another reason Jesus gives for not accumulating wealth and possessions. This is Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The challenge for us um, as Christians is when deciding what to do with our money and other resources, which could be our house or a car, what importance we place on the kingdom of God and what is legitimate spending on ourselves. And um, this will always be a, a challenge for Christians. It's not a challenge for people in the world at all, but for, for Christians, we want to live responsibly. We want to respond to what, what God um, is calling us to do. According to Jesus, we must first acknowledge that anything that may be classed as treasure is only ours temporarily because we can't take it with us 
it is on loan. Just like the farmer in the parable whose soul was required of him. Also, even in this life, our permanent possession of our treasures is not guaranteed. As an example, um, we have some money saved in an ISA, um, which is linked to investments. This is to make some provision for when one or other of us needs to, to go into care. And we've been pleased to see that this has been increasing in value year after year. Very nice. That is, until the recent energy crisis and the war in Ukraine, and now it's losing value. So nothing is guaranteed. In contrast, we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, investing in the kingdom of God. This may take various forms. It may be financially supporting the local church or apostolic advance or Christian missions, helping the poor and needy or making our possessions available to others or anything else that God may ask us to do. But notice, this is not just a good and righteous thing to do. That would be enough if Jesus is Lord and he tells us what to do with our money, as it were. Um, that would be enough. Um, but it will benefit us. And this benefit cannot be eroded, lost or stolen. It is forever. But it is deferred. It comes later. We have to trust that sacrifices made now will have their reward and that God is no man's debtor. We have to trust and, and, uh, it, that, that the things that we um, decide to give um, as a, a part of our re Christian response, um, we have to trust that God will meet our needs. We have to trust that s sacrifices now will have their reward. I say sacrifice because sometimes it will seem like that. And we might think, why should I forego some pleasure now? Can we really believe that ultimately we will not lose out, but actually gain and will be investing in our future glory? Here's Paul's logic in his letter to the Romans, verse 8 and verse 32. His logic here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. There's the logic. If God has gone to such lengths to win us and to provide for us um, our salvation and a place in heaven, how will he not give us all things? And then 1 Peter 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance kept in heaven for you. You have an inheritance that is secure in heaven. Every true child of God has an inheritance that cannot be destroyed. You see the implications of what we've read we have a sure and certain hope of inheritance in Christ and that by our choices now, we can add to that inheritance. So we need now to move on to the next section. We won't spend quite so much time on this one. So we're now going from verse 22. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious uh, about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither store, house or barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor uh, worried, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you have need of them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So this next section is mainly talking about anxiety. And it links to what we've already seen, because anxiety can lead to covetousness. That is, worry that we don't have enough. And covetous to anxiety, that having an abundance of things, we worry if they are stolen or perish. Now Jesus is not saying that we should not take reasonable care of ourselves, but that we should not be preoccupied and anxious about our needs. In verses 22 and 23, he mentions food, clothing and bodies. Regarding these three, anxiety about weight and appearance has generated a diet industry in this country of two billion pounds a year, and the global weight management market is estimated at 150 billion pounds. There is, of, of course, legitimate concern about rising rates of obesity, particularly in children, and for many people, their eat, eating habits um, do need to change. But obsession with appearance and fashion is causing much anxiety and may be one reason why eating disorders are on the increase. Now, I'm aware that eating disorders are very complex and um, most specialists believe that they develop because of a combination of physiological, environmental and genetic factors. And some Christians suffer them. But anxiety about appearance may generally take a part, uh, be a, play a part. As those created in God's image, we need to look after ourselves, of course. But as Jesus says, our lives are formed far more than our outward appearance. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And we are being transformed from the inside out. And what goes on inside will show on the outside in our character. In 1 Peter 3, verse 3, Peter addresses wives, but I think you'll see this applies to us all. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery. Jewelry. Men do this, of course, these days. Or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, in God's sight is very precious. It applies to all because gentleness, uh, which is mentioned here, uh, is a fruit of the spirit. And that applies to men as well as women. And Paul urges Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Of these five virtues, gentleness is how we deal with other people. And it's how Jesus described himself. He said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Now gentleness is not the only godly element that should be seen in our character but it's mentioned frequently in the apostles letters and I use it just to illustrate the fact that God does not want us to be anxious about our appearance and the physical image that we want to portray but to put our trust in his care and providence in seeking first his kingdom and this will help shield us from the anxieties that are prevalent in our world today. However, uh, we will never be completely free from anxiety because life is uncertain and precarious. Uh, we may experience anxiety over our health, our security, our loved ones, our possessions. The first three we may have little control or influence over, but the last one, our possessions, we may have. We, may be, we began this morning with a look at covetousness, that is, strongly desiring what others have. We can be deceived into thinking that the more we have, the happier we will be. But in fact, the more things we accumulate, the more potential for anxiety. We worry about our things, don't we? Um, there have been frequent calls for Christians to live a simpler lifestyle, for the sake of the planet and because we live in a throwaway world and also for our peace of mind. Maybe there are times when buying new is not necessary and that second-hand will do. And if the second-hand thing already has one or two scratches, another scratch won't feed our anxiety. Uh, we thought about riches in a negative way this morning and um, the fact that there are so many warnings that they can be a snare. But let me finish um, with the riches that Paul reveled in as an expression of the kingdom of God that Jesus said that we are to seek first in our lives. So let the word of God be the last thing you hear this morning as we close. So here's the last slide. Well, last two slides, I think. So this is Paul, and he's reveling in the riches that are his and are ours in Christ Jesus. Oh, the depth 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. To me, though I am the least of all the saints, grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That according to the riches of his glory, may he grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory. Of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, the words of Jesus, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Hmm. Father God, we're all so aware that we live in a world that is constantly telling us what we need, um, what will make us happy, uh, what will make us secure. And, and yet, Lord, you're providing something that will last forever. And Lord, I, I pray that as we make these decisions frequently in our lives, what to do with our money and possessions, that, Lord, we may have a, a confidence that stored up for us is treasure that no one can take away, no one can steal, that will not perish. And Lord, that you'll help us to be kingdom people, those who give and support and make our provisions available to others. So Lord, please help us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you.